0: So do you want to start it off, or should I...
1: Yeah, we're back.
0: They yeah. said we'd never return. They said we never show our faces again. <laughs> Not that we're showing our faces, but... <laughs> we, we stuck to that one. Yeah. Um. But this is going to be episode two of EDH Takes, and I am Elijah Samuelson, and this is my associate. Spencer Cook. And today, we're going to talk about something that um we're both pretty enthusiastic about for sure and that's having plays in the first two turns of the game because i think everyone can agree it it feels terrible to feel like you're not contributing to a game of commander especially like in depending on how long your games go like that that can be quite a few turns between like four players um but before going into that really we wanted to kind of touch on what our mission statement on the podcast was going to be because we didn't clarify that so much in the first episode. But the idea of EDH Takes is, overall, to refute commonly held opinions about Commander while trying to bring more, uh, like, different perspectives and other people's opinions uh, to various discussions in the format. Like things, um, like certain kind of color combinations maybe being bad, or just, like, things about the the social contract or, like, rule zero. We're going to talk about various hot-button issues like that. And maybe, like, later on, like... We've we've had, like, a lot of discussion lately on, like, social media about mono-white in Commander, or, like, the design of white cards. Mm -hmm. And so maybe that will be something we talk about later on or touch on every once in a while.
1: Yeah, and um, one thing we do plan on, you know, incorporating is we've got some people that, you know definitely have differing opinions from us uh, in our area that we probably want to get on and have discussions with on on the air. So that'd be probably interesting to get some live, you know, discussion or debate or whatever about some some Commander topics.
0: Yeah, because I think we both agree uh, in a format like Commander, like other constructed formats you can say are more easily solved and it's easier to kind of assess, like, whether an opinion is right or wrong. But, like, Commander is just so large that... There can be so many, like, such a variety of opinions on, like, what is viable, what's not viable, like, what is fun, what's not fun. So many things are more subjective than objective in Commander.
1: Yeah, and the social aspect of the format combined with the multiplayer aspect of the format kind of exponentially increases the complexity. So it makes it really hard to just kind of, like, be very matter-of-fact with your opinions. So something I like to do a lot is I'm, I'm kind of... Um I just don't I don't have super strong opinions. Like I have opinions, but like I'm I'm willing to change them if I have good, you know. Absolutely. So. I, I
0: think uh everyone should be willing to change their opinions when presented with new information. I think it's a very healthy and adult thing to do. And what I like to say is there there's a saying that nobody knows everything, but everybody knows something. So I like to try and know the most somethings that <laughs> <if> I can.
1: <laughs> yeah, well anyway, um moving on from the top the 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 like mission statement of the podcast we probably should start talking about the topic of the show, which, as you mentioned, was early mana plays you know competing with soul ring, of course,
0: yeah, is this better than soul ring
1: <laughs> that's a thing you often think of it yourself you know when you if you, if you like discover a really powerful early drop and you're like, hmm, you always compare it to soul ring because soul ring is the quintessential you know go to early you know play in commander and i and i just to to specify um in this episode we're going to be talking about early plays not one and two drops but well not one man and two mana cost spells but things that you play on turn one or two because you know something like a swords of plowshares or you know like a counter spell are very good one man and two mana spells but you don't play them on turn one yeah or two. like you
0: can look at a, a deck list on a, a site like tapped out or something and i'll show you you have this many two drops in your deck or like so this many two mana, mana spells But if half of those are, you know, instants and sorceries that, like, don't work on an empty board, like, you're not really, like, spending that out on turn two necessarily.
1: Yeah, and so we think it's really important to um, kind of bake some consistency of early plays into your deck. Um, Commander is, like, often a format of, like, big and splashy spells, but uh, and a lot of people think that you don't want to play you know, a lot of 1 and 2 drops because in the late game they're not great. Yeah, um, I've
0: seen that argument a lot. Like, I'm somebody who likes to play a lot of, like, 1 or 2 CMC creatures in my decks. But people will always make this argument, like, if you're sticking up for a low CMC spell, they're like, well, this isn't going to impact your, your board. Like, if you can top deck this later in the game, then it's not going to do enough for you. And I think the that mentality is kind of a result of, maybe sometimes poor deck building like if you're evaluating how things are like when you top deck them all the time uh you probably just need to add more consistency into your deck and like more card advantage
1: yeah because oftentimes like as long as you're not playing like terrible one and two drops like drawing them late in the game unless it's literally the only card you're drawing like the only card in your hand like they're they're good they fit into a curve they still do the thing that they that you put them in your deck to do they're usually pretty powerful
0: yeah and I think um, talking about Soul Ring specifically, like we were saying, it Commander is the format of big splashy spells, and I think Soul Ring is a card that like kind of makes people feel like they can skip past that developing stage of the game sometimes mm-hmm. in their deck building because they're like, well, if I have turn one Soul Ring, then I'm I'm playing my four drop on turn two, and you can kind of cut out. Sections of your curve based on like this mentality of like maybe I'll have soul ring.
1: Yeah, but and and excluding mulligans, you only have turn one soul ring about eight percent of the time. If if you include more Sol ring ish cards, like more one drops that uh, are good on turn one, you can kind of approach a much higher percentage of games that you have like a good turn one opener. So I think if you if you go to about five good turn one plays uh, in your deck,
0: isn't it like going from like. 8% to like 35%.
1: Yeah, it's about it's about 8 to 35, 34% if you count in like having the lands to play them. And if you want to if you want to count like um having at least two lands in your opening hand, it goes down to like I think it's around 29%, but it's it's, you know, it's it's a significant increase to about a third of the games, maybe about, you know, one in every three or four games that you have like a good you know, turn one play that like can start you off in the game. And if you include like one mana or two mana plays in that, like the odds go up even higher. To like, you can with like 15 two mana, one or two mana plays, you can go up to like 80 percent to play something before turn three.
0: Yeah, and and like, uh, to refute like when people say that thing about like top decking low CMC spells later in the game, like that's that's something that is maybe going to happen, but like your opening hand and like the your your mulligans, like that's something you have to deal with. Every game you play, like mm-hmm. that's going to have, like you have to worry about that. So if you have a bunch of like four and five CMC spells in your deck, or like even those huge like seven, eight, nine converted mana cost spells, mm-hmm. you don't want to be seeing a lot of those in your opening hands. And I, I just think it's it's healthier to uh, to want to
1: do more in the early game because you you know that
0: you're gonna be in in the game at
1: that point for sure. Um so we've uh moving moving on we've compiled you know kind of a list of uh of of powerful turn one plays that you know set you up in the game very early on by either providing you card draw ramp you know early aggression like a uh, pressuring players or like an early synergy piece that can let you you know get your get your game plan going faster um, and I think we're going to start with the the white cards first. I mean... <laughs>
0: yeah, we have this kind of broken yeah. up by colors of, like, one-drops. And some of these cards, we're going to... This is not a totally genuine opinion. We're going to say, maybe, is this better than Soul Ring in an opening hand? And the answer is, sometimes.
1: Sometimes, yeah. Obviously, Soul Ring is very powerful, but some of these cards in certain opening hands can... You know, you'll you'd be happier with this card than a Soul Ring.
0: This is my personal opinion, and and maybe it's... Not totally correct, but I will be happier to see a an opening hand with a land tax than a soul ring most of the time, because I feel like I can keep a uh, very land light or like a one land hand with land tax. As long as I'm not going first,
1: mm-hmm. it will
0: just, allowing you to hit your land drop every turn of the game, like guaranteed, and thin your deck out that early on, it, it adds a lot of consistency to your game, and it lets you keep a lot of extra gas in your opening hand.
1: Yeah, and land tax was actually the card that sparked the idea of this episode because we thought about land tax and we were like, "Hmm, I guess this is kind of better than soul ring sometimes, and maybe there's more cards that you know could compete with that, or at least be on the level of soul ring on turn one." So
0: yeah, like with a a one land hand with uh, land tax versus one land hand with soul ring, you have to have at least like one other support card like card draw or something. Yeah, like
1: a cultivate or something to make
0: the the soul ring hand keepable. Also, keeping a hand off of a turn one soul ring, people will destroy a turn one soul ring. <laughs> it could happen. Yeah, it's just gonna happen. Like, there's been hands that I've thought about keeping where I'm like, I've got like one or two lands, I've got a soul ring in here, I've got like some fast mana pieces, but is it is this hand strong enough to like handle the the heat that you get from playing turn one soul ring?
1: Yeah, you can't really. The turn one land tax is not going to get destroyed. There's, like, almost nothing that does that. Yeah,
0: like, if your turn one soul ring gets destroyed within the first three turns of the game, like, you have to think, like, am I just out of the game because of that?
1: And your land tax gets all of its value, like, it gets enough value the first turn, whereas soul ring, like, has to stick around for a couple turns. But that's not really, you know, important. But, like, another thing we want to talk about is, you know, of course land tax is very powerful in turn one, but, like, a lot of these cards, land tax included, you know, are, are even good top decks late game because, you know... Especially, like, land tax, I guess I just want to uh, jump on the fact that, you know, land ta- deck thinning with fetch lands, like, isn't very sig- statistically significant, but with land tax, if you have that going for three turns, like, that's getting rid of, you know, 12 cards from your deck, which, you know, 12 lands, which, like, is actually a significant difference in your odds to draw lands.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And just, like, being able to fill your hand up more, and uh, especially if you pair that with, like, rummaging, like we talked about in the last episode. Yeah. And so, like, yeah, like we're gonna say, these cards aren't necessarily amazing if you top deck them late game, mm-hmm. but they're at least not useless. Like, I think a lot of people would make that argument that <laughs> one and two drops are just totally like useless late in the game, so you just shouldn't play too many of them.
1: Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure you guys, I'm sure you guys are familiar with. You've seen people do the thing where they. They keep, like, a, an opening hand, and then they, they, they skip their land drop, and they discard down something to reanimate on turn two. Like, it's it's not very common, but it happens sometimes. Land Tax lets you, you know, discard your reanimation targets if you're playing that sort of a deck, it, you know, if you play it on turn one. So that's kind of interesting. Another thing you can do to set up your your plays. Yeah, even in,
0: like, Mono White, I like tossing away a couple lands just to have them for, like, a Sun Titan later on.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, so the, yeah.
0: the other card um, that I would consider... Possibly it in more like aggressive base decks that I have, I actually have a couple decks that don't play Soul Ring, and this is kind of my Soul Ring in those decks, and it would be Sarah Ascendant. Yeah, of course. Which is just a crazy card. Um on turn one, if if it's not answered within the first couple turns of the game, which it, you know, typically would be, I would hope most people are playing enough removal in their decks to have an answer within the first couple turns. But having to use that on a one mana creature will always feel kind of bad and you're gonna be a little bit up on that for sure and it can easily deal like up to 20 plus points of damage to your opponents and then you gain all that life too so just getting that extra life buffer at the start of the game is huge
1: yeah and like if, if someone's a, like if you, if you just choose one person to attack like like you can, like, make someone play on the back foot so far, and the only cost is you pl- you spent one mana on the first turn of the game, and it's still, they, it still has to be removed at some point. Like, it's not it's not gone, and it, like, literally half someone's life total, and now they, like, they're scared for the rest of the game. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, and
0: imagine somebody is playing that adequate amount of spot removal in their deck, but to supplement that, people also play board wipes. Yeah. What if somebody only draws their board wipe before they draw their spot removal? maybe that person has to spend out their board wipe to kill your Sarah Ascendant so
1: they don't die. That's crazy. Yeah, and um, even in the late game, Sarah Ascendant is, like, I'd, I mean, I, I'm just, just, you know, bullshitting, but, like, you know, it's it's I'd say it's, like, online, like, after turn, like, 6 or 7, like, you know, 60% of the time. Like, you don't really go below, you know, you're your starting your 30 life or whatever, unless your opponents are playing, like, aggro decks or something very often. And even if you do, like, it's still a good blocker. It's like it it does its thing. It's it's really good. At like getting reanimated with Sun Titan. It's a great Sun Titan target. I remember I played a game on uh, Magic Online once where I I lost off the back of my opponent playing a a turn one Serasendit, and then it was fine. I dealt with it, and then later in the game they played a Sun Titan, reanimated it. I had to kill both the Sun Titan and the Serasendit, and then they reanimated their Sun Titan, got the Serasendit back, and I was out of removal. And I just you know I couldn't I couldn't deal with four things. So like you know, the Terminator. Yeah, I only I only had three removal spells, not four. <laughs> this is kind of crazy, but, um, yeah. So it, it it's a it's it's a house for sure. Yeah,
0: and even in that situation where, like, say you're playing it in an equipment deck and you do go under that 30 life, well, you can just start putting all your equipment like your swords and stuff on the Saracen. Yeah, and, it's evasive, and and get it back up to that because it has life length, You'll get up to that 30 plus life again, and then it'll get the flying and get huge. Yep. 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 Uh, so, similar to Land Tax, we want to talk about Weathered Wayfarer. Yeah, be,
1: yeah. Like, I mean, weather Wayfarer is another one of those cards that, like, it's probably not on the soul Ring power level, but it's at least approaching it. Because w- one land Weathered Wayfarer hands are very keepable, you know. And, like, it's fetching, we've talked about it already, but fetching your, your non-basic lands like Ancient Tomb and Nykthos, like, kind of does that soul Ring thing for you a little bit later in the game.
0: Yeah, and I think this one has extra upside late in the game over land tax. Like, sure, you will need to untap with it, assuming you can't give it haste, which, if you can, that's extra upside over land tax. Mm-hmm. Land tax only triggers on your upkeep. This could trigger the... Or you could activate this ability the first time, the first turn that you play it. And you can get extra utility lands, such as, like, War Room or Emiria, Core Haven. Good section here. Um, It's kind of... Two cards that fulfill a similar role, they're pretty much the same. Mother of Runes or Giver of Runes are just one of my favorite plays to have on turn one. Because it, it pretty much shuts down, like, the first piece of spot removal in a turn cycle that would be coming your way. Yeah. And it will oftentimes make people use it on your opponents, which is an extra great. Thing. Yeah,
1: extra value. And even Mother of Runes, like like is even like really backbreaking for your opponents because it can even protect itself like they can't just shoot mother of runes like if it's untapped they have to have like two spells or something yeah
0: yeah and even giver of runes not being able to protect itself will still act as a lightning rod for the first piece of removal
1: yeah and nice. yeah and and the one thing i want to say about um this this pair of cards is that like it's not sure it's not giving you the you know early you know two mana that a soul ring does but like being able to like, curve out and protect your plays. It kind of, like, sets up your game plan um, right from the start is really powerful. I like that a lot.
0: Especially if your, like, value pieces in your deck are in the form of creatures. Yeah. Being able to keep them alive from spot removal is really big.
1: Yeah. And even late in the game, like, like you can make creatures unblockable and stuff to, to kill people.
0: Yeah, protection is just a really powerful ability. Yeah. And then um, we have Legion's Landing which isn't nearly as good as the rest of this the cards on this list I don't think mm-hmm. but it's still a nice way for like a white or like a boros aggressive deck or just any deck that plays out like low CMC creatures to be able to ramp early in the game
1: yeah and um one thing that like you might not think oh this is kind of low impact but like as you increase the number of one mana cost spells in your deck your consistency goes up so just finding cards that are that are like just good enough to be like pretty good um, and then throwing them in your deck is going to be pretty pretty, pretty nice and, and powerful. Because the the difference between playing a turn one Legion's Landing and not playing a turn one play is really big. And we put a few cards
0: per each color that we don't think necessarily would go in every deck of that color, but in specific decks they can really shine and maybe be that piece that you think uh, is something you'd like to have in your opening hand on the level of Sol Ring. Yeah. Not quite as powerful, but just something that you're always glad to see.
1: Yeah, and a good example of this would be like Sigarda's Aid in an equipment deck is, is obviously very powerful.
0: Yeah, or Um, Deafening Silence out of Throne of Eldraine. I found that card to always be sneaky good. Like, it never feels like it's doing that much, but I always have people tell me, like, the game after I played it or, like, during the game, they're like, I couldn't do this or I couldn't do that because of that deafening silence. Yeah,
1: and, and uh, the nice thing about, like, your stacks, like that card, coming in on turn one is that, like, it doesn't mess up your curve later in the game. You don't have to fit it in. Like, obviously, fitting it in a one-drop can be easy, but, you know, also it can be a little bit difficult because, you know, you if you're trying to play, like, directly on curve or hold up one mana for, like, a removal spell, like, it can make it a little bit awkward. So yeah. getting it right a- on play right away is nice.
0: Yeah, having a stacks piece on turn one or two is really important because I feel like in a lot of fast starts that people have in mm-hmm. Commander, you don't have time to stop them by the time it gets to be, like, turn three or four. Yeah. You need to kind of address that like right what's, away.
1: What's the nightmare scenario in a Commander game? Like, I, you, everyone's seen the turn one Soul Ring into Signet or something opener, and you're just like, oh, God, what do I do now? Well, if you play Depping Sounds first, you, you, you stop that. They have to take a turn off, like, play their Soul Ring, then next turn play their Signet.
0: Exactly, and also one thing I like about it in aggressive decks is if I go to play my fairy's protection on a turn to protect my creatures, and they're they're trying to wrath me, they can't counter my spell now. Yeah, somebody else could, but it stops people from being able to interact with you as well.
1: Yeah, uh, and then lastly, we have like the soul, the soul sisters, and authority of the consoles as ways to kind of gain some life in some deck that kind of cares about that. Like we were talking about. Um, the new the, one of the new cards from from the from uh Kaldheim that has like some life gain payoffs or whatever. But you know, getting these down in turn one can often like give you a big buffer of life that lets you like be more aggressive with your attacks or not care, mo- like just not not just take damage, take hits, not have to block. Yeah, people
0: always say you know, life gain doesn't provide you any significant value really. But outside of Sarah Ascendant, I've seen a Soul Sister gain upwards of like gain more life than just about any card like it will gain you upwards of 10 to even depending on how long it sticks like maybe up to upwards of 20 life
1: yeah and it's even a jump blocker later in the game you know it can it can do some synergy things with like being a creature on the field you know so it draws cards you know with some of your things that draw cards you cast creature spells and stuff late in the game so it can be powerful for sure yeah
0: it can and it can trigger Like, additional cards that you have in your deck, stuff like Dawn of Hope or, like, Archangel of Thune, like, you can have extra synergy with that life gain trigger.
1: For sure. Um, So, that's about all we have for white cards. There were quite a few of them, but that's maybe showing our bias a little bit. Um, But moving on to blue cards, there are definitely some less, I would say, powerful turn one plays, but um, a solid number of of really good ones.
0: Well, they've got one of the biggest ones. Yeah, one of the
1: best ones, for sure. I
0: think um more so in a competitive setting, but uh, Mystic Remora is is probably one of the most powerful turn one plays you can have in a game of commander.
1: Yeah, for sure. The fish, you know, always does work. Um it's like just like just playing it on turn one, like will we'll will draw often it'll draw one at least one card right away, and then if you even just pay the one mana once, like people are not gonna not play their rocks. They're gonna play the rocks and it'll no one can pay four mana for it ever. So usually it draws like up to three cards, you know, just like the first two turns of the game. Then you can just let it die.
0: Yeah, let's say very optimistically, if it's a one mana, draw three, that's crazy. That's ancestral recall. Yeah. If it's you if you have to pay the upkeep cost one and it's two mana, draw three. Still amazing. Yeah. If it's for three sure. mana, draw three. Or uh, at, the, at that point, it'd be more four it'd be 4, but, but yeah, but still, it, it works sometimes. Um, Fine, yeah. And, and this, this is actually a, a card on this list that I think is almost sometimes better in the late game because people are going to be casting more spells more reliably, and
1: you have more you have you have the ability to pay the one um, you know on the first upkeep, even better than like if you played on turn one. Because yeah. it's not a big deal. So. And
0: nobody can ever pay the four for this. I've never seen it happen. Have oh you seen God. it happen? No, it, done it
1: never happened. I don't think I've ever done it. But, yeah, the crazy thing that cards like Mystic Remora, you know, do is that, like, the miracle scenario of you play a Mystic Remora, and then your opponent, like, plays something powerful, and then another player is forced to interact with them. So you just, like, double up on, like, drawing. And then they have, like, a Counterspell War or something. You drew, like, four cards
0: Yeah, and it being at the one mana like that, having that cost of they have to pay four to stop you from drawing the card, like, there's not a lot that can be done about Mystic Remora. Yeah. It's just going to get you cards unless it's countered. Yeah. But again, it's one mana. feels bad to counter a one-mana spell.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, another card that we think is, you know, pretty, pretty good for the, you know, on turn one is Mystical Tutor. And with the caveat that, like, you can use Mystical Tutor to keep, like, a two-land mystical tutor, um, like, ramp hand or something, or, like, a land heavy hand but by mystical tutoring for, like, a windfall or something like that to kind of um, set yourself up.
0: Yeah, this one's going to depend more on what your deck is, is built like yeah. and, like, what kind of cards you have and what density of effects you, you have. But, but also, this is another one that I think is is much better later in the game, like, being able yeah. to get the answer that you need when you need it.
1: But you can definitely fire off a Mystical Tutor on turn one um, and get a Windfall or, like, you know, a Charter Course or something like that. And just, like, have it be, like, a way to draw more lands or something. Yeah,
0: or get absolutely. rid of your
1: six-land hand. Like, I, I, I might keep six-land Mystical Tutor and then you just get a Windfall or something. You could do that. Yeah. Be okay. Um... Moving on, we've got the that was that we have uh, the the kind of more specific uh, decks uh, one drops, and that is cantrips. I personally think that cantrips like brainstorm, preordained and ponder stuff like that aren't that good in you know a generic blue deck, but they are very powerful in decks that like care about them.
0: Yeah, we typically think they're pretty overrated, yeah, and people tend to evaluate them as some form of card advantage when they're really not. They're, they're card selection yeah but like we said, there are certain decks where you can turn that into a form of extra advantage,
1: yeah like nivix or like Talrand or something things that trigger off of you casting against your sorceries for good value they they become pretty powerful, and they're cards that you can just fire off on turn one to kind of sculpt your hand,
0: yeah like I don't know if you played these when you, you used to have a cast deck, like, yeah being able to play a cantrip oh yeah twice no.
1: was pretty it was pretty That's nice good. yeah playing. Kess is a good example where you just shoot off your Cantrip on turn one, then later in the game you can just spend one mana from your graveyard, get another card. Pretty nice.
0: Yeah, well, yeah. Later in the game, even in a, in a regular deck, if you just top deck a Cantrip, it's kind of it, it cycles itself.
1: You yeah, know? for sure. Um, and then moving on, we also have Training Grounds as as a very powerful like this is this kind of fits into our syner- early synergy piece um, section. Very powerful one mana card that. You know, it's even better if you play it on turn one in certain decks.
0: Yeah, I think Thrasios being, like, the main offender, but even we've gotten Kenrith now. Yeah, for sure. And any of those abilities, like, activated abilities costing two less, like, that is so significant.
1: And you can curve, you know, you can curve a training grounds into a Thrasios on turn two into, you know, activating it on turn three, or even if you have like a you know, some sort of fast mana activating it twice on turn three, that's kind of ridiculous. That's absurd. Yeah. Or or even, you know, you can play like a just like a mana rock on turn three and then activate it still. So yeah. Um so yeah. Moving on from blue, I think um we're going to black and black's got some solid some solid choices as well, for sure.
0: Yeah, not exactly on the level of Solaring, because, like, uh, rituals are a little iffy to play in Commander, because they don't provide you any significant, like, card advantage, like, they don't get you anything on board, and it's a very temporary effect, but Dark Ritual, it's the most efficient ritual in Commander, right? For
1: sure, Um, at least, you know, for low mana cost. And the nice thing about one is, if you can play Dark Ritual into some sort of piece that kind of gets you value, so you can kind of make up for that card you lost using the Dark Ritual. So something like a Phyrexian Arena on turn one can can really pay for itself.
0: Yeah, just like a form of card, draw. like, oh yeah, Phyrexian Arena, uh, Necropotence on turn one. That's crazy. Dark
1: Ritual, Necropotence. Then you're like, well, I lost, you know, a card from Dark Ritual, but, uh, and I don't have a Soul Ring, but I've set myself up, like, in the game, like, super crazy.
0: Yeah, and I know we're... We're making the argument for Dark Ritual based off of the power of other cards, and so that's not to say that Dark Ritual is is necessarily, like, the good part of that factor, but part of the reason we're having this, uh, this subject is we think people do kind of tend to cut out, like, the 1 and 2 slot of their deck, so, like, going straight to 3 on turn 1, yeah. even if that puts you behind a card, can often be just, like, such a big yeah like, tempo advantage.
1: For sure. And even Dark Ritual late in the game can... Can let you, you know, I mean, making extra mana late in the game is one of the most powerful things you can do. So even just extra two mana can, you know, be very, very strong for sure. Yeah.
0: Say like your commander is Villas, Broker of Blood, or something like Razaketh, like people might be preparing to kill it when you have the mana to do it. But playing like a ritual or like playing fast mana out will let you get that out a turn earlier or like two turns earlier. For sure. And you can really start to assemble your engine from there.
1: Yep. Uh, moving on, similar to um, mystical tutor that we were talking about, we have vampiric tutor slash imperial seal. Obviously, you know, pretty expensive cards, but like the, the flexibility of being able to sh- to run off a vampiric tutor on turn one and grabbing fast mana or a combo piece or whatever you need for the game. Sometimes you just get a land, like it, it happens, but it's really versatile and it sets you up pretty well. Yeah,
0: good for all the same reasons that mystical tutor is, except this one will get you a mana crypt, it'll get you a soul ring, or like you said. If you kept that one land hand, like, you can maybe be like, yeah, I'll just go and get m- make sure, guarantee that I get my next land drop. It's mm-hmm. nothing really wrong with doing that. Like, it doesn't seem very impressive, but it just adds that extra consistency. And,
1: of course, they're very powerful in the late game, for sure.
0: Yeah, gets your win condition.
1: Yeah. Um, next, you got a card that, you, that you're kind of a... Uh, you kind of ticked me off about... Or not ticked me <laughs> off, but tipped me off on. Uh,
0: it, it ticks me off when people <laughs> exile my graveyard. For sure. So, uh... This one, not a super powerful card, but it's nice in that it kind of fills two spots on the curve, and it's a Deadeye Tracker. It's a pirate out of Ixalan, or uh, maybe Rivals of Ixalan?
1: Yeah, I think I think Rivals.
0: And it's a one-mana, one-one. You can pay one in a black and tap it to exile two target cards from a graveyard, and then you explore. So, oftentimes early in the game, people, like, like we said, might be using... Um, Cantrips, or they yeah. might be using fetch lands and stuff. So you can often probably act like not totally consistently. Yeah. But we play with a lot of people that play a lot of fetch
1: lands. For sure.
0: So just being able to like exile two of their fetch lands and maybe draw a card or throw the top card of your deck into your graveyard if it's too high CMC. Yeah,
1: it's not a super, like, efficient or powerful card, but what it does is it fits a slot in your deck for graveyard hate. It kind of does that card advantage thing where you can hit your land drops, and it also sculpts your own graveyard. You can dump creatures and stuff in your graveyard. So it it does, like, three things kind of poorly, but being able to do them all is kind of nice, especially coming down on turn one.
0: Yeah, I'm just, I'm a big fan of the explore mechanic, and I think graveyard hate, people say this a lot that people should be running it more, but really, i I get a lot of I get away with a lot of degenerate stuff in Commander because mm-hmm. nobody plays graveyard hate. And then when somebody does, I'm like, son of a bitch.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Um. So finding more ways to fit in graveyard hate that aren't terrible in your deck are pretty nice. Um. Yeah. Now we can talk about some of the more specific, you know, deck archetype uh, cards. Like you have your sack outlets, like Visceris here and Carrion Feeder. You have your discard outlet, like Putridemp that come down on turn one. And if you get these on turn one, like it just it it threatens to do a lot later in the game is 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 kind of the big thing for those kind of cards.
0: Yeah, they're oftentimes kind of a combo piece, but also have some utility early in the game, like Viscera Seer. Maybe you'll just end up scrying away a couple incident or sacrificing a couple incidental creatures. To get a scry here and there. Yeah,
1: if something gets removed or something, you get that that, that free scry, you know, in response to removal spell or something. And, you know, everyone knows that, that sac outlets are, you know, kind of degenerate in commander. They can do a lot of really powerful things. But um, moving along to more deck-specific things, we have um, the enchantments Phyrexian Reclamation and Tortured Existence, which are obviously more, you know, geared to specific decks that want to kind of get things back from their graveyard. But um, having them in play on turn one definitely sets you up for the rest of the game. I mean, you've heard me say that like six or seven times this episode, but that's the guy yeah, of Yeah, well,
0: and speaking of that, so these ones are specifically better later in the game when you have more mana or you've, exp- you've spent more resources out, but uh, there's this thing I heard about Limited at one point early on in playing Magic. There's this theory that the, the player that spends the most mana in a game... Typically, is more favored to win that game, mm-hmm. and there's there's exceptions to that, especially in Commander. But being able to spend out your mana on turn one and two, we just think it gives you such an advantage because like if you don't use, if you just hit your land drop pass on turn one and two, you've got three mana there that you didn't. You're never get getting it back. To. You're yeah. never getting it back. Yeah, and just being able to use that every sure. game, I think will uh, will help you a lot.
1: Yeah, uh, and then we've got. Uh... A couple more. Blood Chief Ascension as, like, a card that you can use in certain decks to kind of deal a lot of damage to your opponents. It's like that kind of, like, a aggr- early aggression kind of thing. And, like, Disciple of the Vault in, like, an Artifact Synergy. That usually doesn't want to come into play on turn one, but if you play it on turn one, like, it's there. For, yeah, again, you know.
0: just, you play them out turn one, they're probably better in the later game, but you know, that that's fine.
1: Yeah, if you have a play on turn one, it's good. Um, so you want to move on to red?
0: Yeah, um, Starting off, uh, along the lines of land tax, one of my other, like, maybe I'll keep a one land hand with this card, and I I probably shouldn't, but I always want to test it every time I have a sketchy hand with this card, and that'd be Faithless Looting, because it's just able to dig you so deep and, like, sculpt your hand so well within the first two turns, and the the fact that it has flashback uh, gives you a play on turn one and turn three from one card.
1: Yeah, and there's a, there's a blue card that does this. Uh, careful study, I think, but that one doesn't have flashback. It's just Faithless Looting, but worse. Yeah. So, the the nice thing, yeah, about... Even in the late game, Faithless Looting letting you uh, flash it back or even just cast it, you know, to, to get rid of extra lands or to dig for some piece that you need is, is really powerful.
0: Yeah, because I like to play typically a, a higher land count in my decks to guaranteed hit my land drops. And having just a Faithless Looting, maybe you don't even maybe you do it the first time and then later in the game you haven't flashed it back on turn three because you just had plays to make but later in the game you just sandbag a couple lands and you flash it back and it helps you get back into the game
1: yeah and of course obviously playing you know other cards as flashback or graveyard effects is, is good you know like there's a couple new cards from kelheim that have like effects that activate in the graveyard that I, that made me think of Faithless looting just as being even better than it always was. Yeah,
0: like, I think I've done a Faithless looting before where I'll discard a, a card or two cards with flashback, and then it's just kind of like you drew two cards for one mana, Yeah, in a way.
1: Uh, discarding, like, a, a Deep Analysis or something with a Faithless looting is is awesome. That, yeah. that feels really good, because you can just curve that on turn two in Deep Analysis and get, you know, your card back plus one. Yeah, it's awesome.
0: Makes me want to play it?
1: Yeah, exactly. Um... So yeah, uh, the rest of the the red cards we had, the one-drops were more specific to a deck archetype. We kind of categorized them that way, and we've got Goblin Welder as one... Probably the, the closest uh, red one-drops can come to competing with a Soul Ring, I think, on power level is certain hands with Goblin Welder, where you play a Goblin Welder on turn one, then on turn two you like play something to loot and an artifact, and then you like put into play some huge artifact on turn two. it can be really powerful, for sure.
0: Yeah, and this is going to be one that will take a lot more like cards to set it up kind of like the dark ritual thing yeah but you can do some really crazy stuff with a goblin welder like in black we'll talk about like reanimate effects a lot and just the efficiency of that but like goblin welder allows you to replicate that in red like in an artifact based strategy
1: yeah and you can even hit your opponent's artifacts if they have something in the bin you can you can get rid of something they have to replace it with whatever they have in their graveyard yeah like somebody rummages
0: away or like gets milled and They have, like, an ever-flowing chalice in their graveyard. You can be like, you can have that instead of your soul ring.
1: Yeah, or your Gilder Lotus or something. But, yeah. Uh, Additionally, another card that's pretty cool is Curse of Opulence. We've found that... We just had a a game just recently that we played where Curse of Opulence on turn one or two ended up making you, like, eight mana in a couple turns. I got at least
0: eight mana off of it over the course of two turns because people are just so greedy to get that gold that they'll attack into the player with it, which... Is also added uh, outside of, of that. But, you know, yeah. your your opponent getting attacked is good for you, and getting mana off of just playing that one card that's that's really nice.
1: Yeah. Um. Next, we got fervent champion as the kind of uh red equipment one drop of choice in probably every equipment deck.
0: Yeah, I I built a uh, Magic Online a Kyrie, uh fearless Voyager deck. And that's probably one of the best one-drops in that deck, because the ability to play a two-mana equipment and equip it right away onto that guy, like, say, Sword of the Animist, or oh like man. Mask of Memory, that is so good. it allows you to do so much so early in the game. Or even, like, your three-mana equipments, like the, the Sword of, Sword of Feast and Famine, you play that down, and you immediately have a creature to put it onto.
1: Yeah, it's... Really good and even fine in the late game because it you know reduces your mana it gives you it saves you mana and it also has first strike, I believe, right? Yeah, yeah. And haste. Um
0: Yeah. I think there was a game where I had all my equipments out and top deck that later on, and yeah, it just picks up all the equipments
1: right away. And it nets you mana because it reduces if you it costs one mana and it reduces by two, right? For each three. three. Oh my god. Yeah, equip costs oh, are three miles. No. Yeah, so you could even oh that's crazy. Um and then the last card, uh, do you want to talk about it, Eli? Oh yeah, this is one that, that definitely isn't great in the early
0: turns of the game, and it, it doesn't often, like, it won't make me want to keep an opening hand, but like we said, just playing your one drop out is fine, it'll attack and block for you, but later in the game, uh, Dragon Master Outcast is a one mana token engine for 5-5 five, five dragons once you just hit your land drops and, and get to 6, or if you ramp even a little bit. Yeah and that's that's a lot of value for one mana.
1: Yeah, and oftentimes Dragon Master Outcast can you know kind of be a removal uh lightning rod for your opponents because um if you just play it out in turn 1, like it's going to be sitting on the table the whole game and every turn they're going to be thinking, "Huh, when that gets to, when he when he gets to 6 mana, it's going to be kind of bad. Maybe I want to kill it or something." And if your one drop gets killed, that that's that's pretty good for you versus your yeah. commander or something.
0: I think that's another big idea from this uh this episode is that just lowering your curve, like, you can think of so many later game plays where you play this giant creature at 7-8 mana, and it seems so awesome, but it, it gets removed for mm. 1 or 2 mana. Yeah. And you just lose so much tempo from doing it. You can get totally time-walked. Yeah. So you really want to try and play more high-impact 1 and 2 CMC yeah, cards. Yeah, so even if
1: you get time-walked later in the game with, like, your, you know, expensive spell, you still have other things to fall back on. Yeah. Um... So yeah, now we're going to move on to the green cards. Everyone's favorite color, green.
0: Yeah, and green is uh, the color (laughs) I would say you can most get away with, like, if you did decide you didn't want to play Sol Ring, people would think you were slightly less crazy than if you said, like, I have a mono-white deck where I don't play Sol Ring. Yeah, People probably think that's crazy. But I just decided I didn't want to play it. I wanted to play more, like, artifact hate, like Stony Silence and stuff. But in green, you have such a variety of (laughs) you know things like exploration and burgeoning yeah that let you play those extra lands out and everyone agrees with that thing about the social contract that
1: lands are safe they can't destroy your
0: lands whereas they will destroy your
1: soul ring for sure and like um there there are a lot of decks in green that really like have good ways to utilize their land specifically like you know to get them back in the graveyard or have the landfall things and and that makes the sometimes burgeoning or exploration better than a soul ring Especially because it starts adding like more. If if they stick around, they start like going crazy. Like I had a game I played recently where this guy was playing the the new um, the new red uh, green um, plant guy, the landfall plant guy, Philath, and he played that on like turn three because he had a burgeoning, and it was and he kind of just destroyed the game with it. Yeah, burgeoning will let you oftentimes have three or four
0: lands by turn two. Yeah. Which is crazy. I mean, you will need card draw to back these cards up, but exploration, one of the s- strongest starts I think I've ever seen in a game of Commander, uh, a friend of ours has a Tatiova deck, mm-hmm. and he played a turn one exploration, played his second land. Um, one of the lands was a fetch land. He end step worldly tutors for a Ramanop Excavator. Oh no. And so turn two, he plays Ramanop Excavator. And has a fetch land in his graveyard. So he's always hitting yeah, both two land drops from his graveyard, not losing a card. As of turn two, he has four lands
1: in play. And then next turn he gets to play uh, Tatiova and still have a land drop to play. Get two yeah. draws off it because he has a fetch land. It's, it was really, you know...
0: Yeah, I, I came by and I watched <laughs> him play out that that sequence. And I immediately thought, he's winning this game. Walked by a few minutes later, I was like, you win that game? Yeah, he won that
1: game. Yeah, of course. Um... Other uh, things that you can do on turn one in green include carpet of flowers. This might be a little bit more played in, like like obviously it's not going to be good in every pod, but a lot of times you have a blue player at the table, and carpet of flowers often generates um, a lot of mana throughout the game. Even the turn you play it, carpet of flowers generates the mana on the second main phase if it, on the turn you play it.
0: Well, I think in a in a game with a a blue player who you need to have islands specifically for this one. Yeah. But this card is better than Soul Ring.
1: Yeah. I mean, oftentimes.
0: Enchantments are harder to remove than artifacts. Um doesn't it give you mana on your first and second main phase? It's only it's or? only one of them. But you can choose. You can right? choose,
1: yeah. So if the turn you play it you can get the mana. Yeah, still. so it's
0: not like it makes your plays more awkward, like no. if you wanted to do something specifically like post combat. Yeah. But so like, it gives you colored mana too.
1: Yeah, and even in the late game it's like a ritual because you play it and then your opponent has three islands and it adds three mana on your second main oh, yeah, phase. Oh, you can get it the you turn, the turn and do yep, it. yep. It goes you go to oh the second God. main phase and get it.
0: Yeah, that's crazy.
1: Yeah, so that card's awesome. Um so, something that I kind of have like a, a strong love for in my heart is uh Dorks in green because um obviously they're much more fragile than land ramp cards, but I really enjoy this like green creature like matters um, kind of theme that you can play out with cards like Oren Frostfang. I think the new Squirrel in the new set also draws a card whenever you hit a creature you control hits somebody. Yeah. Um, You get to play cards like Voice of Many, which draw cards for having a bunch of creatures. The mana dorks are fodder for edict effects. You get to kill people with Crater Hoof type stuff. They're blockers in the late game. And they also, even late game, they trigger cards like Jendikar Resurgent and Guardian Project to draw you additional cards yeah, off they, them. Yeah, they
0: will just cycle themselves. Because, speaking of those <laughs> cards... You know, they are more fragile, but there's also more upside to using creature ramp in a green deck, because green decks have payoffs for having
1: creatures. Creatures, yeah. That's that's what I love. I, I really like building decks to utilize cards like that. Um, so, I'm you know, I, I'm, I'm very likely to, to try to build a... Uh, I think usually you want to go... you want to, like, decide. Like, either you play, like, a bunch of mana dorks, or you don't play any mana dorks. I think usually is how the, the, the deck building works. I mean, you can play a middling amount, but... I tend to like to go all in and play six of them or something if I'm playing them.
0: Yeah, and and the thing all these different cards kinda have in common is a thing mostly unique to green outside of using like fast mana pieces, most colors or the other colors can't really go from one mana to... to three mana. Yeah. That easily. But there's so many ways to do it in green and that's just that that step not that like there's anything wrong with two drops, but going from one to three is just really big like that's mm-hmm. that cuts out it lets you build a really like unique curve i used to have a gitrog monster deck where i played a lot of mana dorks because i wanted to play like a cultivate or a kadama's reach on turn
1: two and then turn three have the gitrog monster yeah that's uh, very powerful of course um and now moving on to some of the more specific you know deck um cards like uh i think if anyone's played like modern or standard when it was not standard you've seen hardened scales be like kind of a powerhouse um, in games and in commander 2 there's a lot of decks that off of a turn one hardened scales can kind of just go crazy and get a lot of value off it
0: yeah especially if you have like that incremental way to like put plus and plus encounters on yeah. stuff like going from like it only adds one more it doesn't double them but mm-hmm. going going from four to five not that big of a deal but consistently going from one to two like always like doubling your
1: value yeah. out of that
0: in a plus and plus encounters deck that can be a really big advantage yeah
1: and and Coming out in turn one for one mana versus five for, like, a doubling season is is a big difference. Also, it's much less. Doubling season is like a removal magnet, whereas hardened scales, not so much.
0: Yeah. And this is kind of a newer card out of, I think, Corsa 20?
1: Yes. Uh, I think 20.
0: Uh, Elver's Reclaimer kind of allows you for, for two mana and tapping it to do a crop rotation every turn. Unless yeah. you sacrifice a land and go and get any land out of your deck. And so this will kind of depend on like how many utility lands you have, but like you can get like a Gaia's cradle, or you can get a strip mine or fetch land to do like we were talking about with the Tatiova thing, to set up those kind of engines.
1: Yeah, no, it's 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 really nice. Um it's it's obviously better in decks where you have the really high value, probably expensive <laughs> monetary cost uh, lands like Gaia's cradle or like a you know, like an herborg cabal coffers type thing, but in those kind of decks, like, that's going to be a powerful card. And I think it turns into, like, a 3-3 three, three later, or, like, a 3-4. It, tur- it, oh, yeah, it gets bigger. It gets bigger. about that part, yeah. Yeah.
0: So that one, pretty nice. Yeah. Um, then we also have Uvenwalt Tracker. Uh, not sure if too many people have seen this card, at least recently, but super solid. It's a one-mana, one-one. You can pay one in a green and tap it and make uh, two target creatures fight. Or, yeah, well, one you control and and one in opponent controls. Yeah. yeah. Be kind of crazy if you could make your opponent's <laughs> stuff just fight. For yeah,
1: two. that one red card that does that for it's like an instant. But whatever. Um, the thing I like Uvenal Tracker in decks that play um, Death Touch commanders. Like I have played uh, a Shevel Bane of Monsters deck. I could see it all right as an okay card in like a more of a casual Glissa deck um, because you know you can just pick off people's creatures and stuff. And even like decks that play like a Managorg Hydra, it's pretty powerful because that's going to fight everything and live. Mm-hmm. So just having that like piece on your on board to like to get your uh, to kind of be like a removal piece is is pretty nice. Obviously, it's not like the most powerful turn one play, but it it kind of is nice to play on turn one, and then it becomes better later.
0: Yeah, having on board repeatable removal will just be so nice because like there's so many games where you you have just too many threats that you have to answer, and you can never afford to. Spend a card out of your hand every time. Yeah, if you play like that, you're you're not gonna win a lot of those games. I don't think unless you have really good card advantage in your
1: deck. Yeah, and oftentimes you can find kind of small power creatures, like utility creatures that opponents control, that you can kind of pick off and not lose a creature yourself. Like their own their own one ones. All all the other cards that we talked about on this list oh, that are creatures, yeah. they die to uh to uh Uwen Tracker and any other. Yeah, this is this is medium. the
0: card on the list that kills all the other cards on the list. <laughs> exactly, except for maybe like Mother of Runes. Yeah,
1: that, that one. That one. But I mean it does we have like a you get to play like a cat and mouse game between those two where you, you both can't activate them because he <laughs> you'll kill it in response. But that that I think that does it for all the green cards. Um do you want to move on to some of the colorless artifacts and stuff like that?
0: Yeah, we had a few artifacts we want to talk about and we tried to specifically avoid like fast mana cards because the idea is like saying like, oh, this is better than Sol yeah, Ring. Mana crypt, Obviously oh. mana crypt is better than Sol Ring. Yeah. yeah, you know that's that's an easy argument to make. So we're not going to talk about stuff like that uh, specifically. But one, we're not a huge fan of this card, but people will play it a lot, and it does have some value. Is Sensei's Divining Top? Yeah, we'll just kind of again let you um, sculpt your first couple draws a little bit. It's not. I think a lot of people get this idea that it's some form of card draw
1: yeah because of its activated ability but it's not you're gonna to have to draw that sensei's
0: top again so
1: yeah the the you're really down a card with sensei's top and the times where you want to play it in your deck i think are the the decks where you can kind of turn it into like a combo piece like with of citadel it's kind of and like with bolsa citadel it like turns into like draw your deck or um or like with cards that you know draw a you know they they when you, you you draw a card, when you play an artifact or something, you can kind of...
0: Yeah, like a joy or a weather, like... You yeah, can
1: get yeah, a card a every like turn that. off of it or something. Yeah. Yeah. So that's... In, the, in those decks, especially, it's 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 really strong. And then we have
0: Wayfarer's Bobble. Uh, I think it's also another card that's maybe been a little bit overhyped at this point. But it's still super solid.
1: Yeah, you know? I'm, I'm happy with a Wayfarer's Bobble, especially in, in, in decks like, uh you know, Rakdos decks and stuff like that, that probably want to do something like that. Yeah,
0: and like we were saying about spending out your mana, it gives you something to play on turn 1 and then turn 2. I think a lot of people would evaluate it as like, I don't want to pay 3 mana to search a land in a play. But really, you, you're you mostly going to be playing it on turn 1, hopefully. Yeah, and it's
1: probably just a little bit better. If you play it on turn 1, it's probably a little better than playing a mana rock on turn 2. Because obviously a land in play is probably better than a mana rock most of the time or even some some games
0: you might not need that on turn 2 you might have like you might have a mana rock you want to play or another two drop and you can just sit on that and use your mana on a later turn when you don't have a play
1: to make yeah and like i mentioned a moment ago with like a glissa deck or something um, it is a recurrable card that you can get back from your graveyard if you need to hit more lands and stuff so that's kind of the upside versus a mana rock yeah i love it in my gisela deck with like sun titan or even Amiria
0: shepherd like with Amiria shepherd you can get it back by playing a planes and then use it for two mana get a planes planes, get back or you kind of do that
1: yeah as much mana as you have you can start you can just do a bunch of things like that yeah yeah
0: uh similarly to wafer's bobble is expedition map now this won't ramp you necessarily but being able to tutor a land into your hand like you could use it for ramp you could get ancient tomb off of it yeah i've done that sometimes for sure or you could get a just a myriad landscape for later. Yeah, but it's any slower pace game, kind of game. Kinda
1: like we were talking about with uh, Elvish Reclaimer um, a moment ago. Decks that have like really powerful, you know, lands in their deck, like a Gaia's Cradle or like a Cabal of Coffers or something, are going to be happy. They they want another copy of that in their deck, and Expedition Map does that on turn one. Yeah, and then There's you activate on turn two, a and a lot you get of it. utility. Yep. Um so that just about does it for our uh short list of of one drops and like like we mentioned earlier I want to say um it's you really can find yourself you know going up from 8% about just having a soul ring in your deck to like 30% having you know five or so good one drops in your deck and I think if you t- you know pick from this list of of one drops you can pretty easily get five or more one drops that are going to be powerful in the early game and powerful in the late game. Exactly. Yeah, but um the key thing to keep in mind I guess for for why why we like one drop so much is that they are like plays that you play right away that set you up for the rest of the game. You know, it'd be the, it, it would be harder to make this episode for two drops because there's so many more like good two drops that exist in commander and also people know to play two drops, but we do want to kind of mention a little bit, a uh, couple, you know, categories of two drops to kind of give you a, a heuristic of, of which types of two drops you want to play to set yourself up for the rest of the game.
0: Yeah, like some, some different categories we have here of, like, the, the type of stuff that you might want to play more frequently. hmm And I think uh, the common knowledge has kind of ad- adapted to this by now, where your ramp really should be two mana or less, ideally.
1: yeah. yeah and if you if if you um if if your card is, your two drop is one of these categories it's probably going to be good at any point in the game. So yeah, like you mentioned mana should be two mana, so we think that mana rocks obviously are are very powerful cards like, you know, arcane signet and stuff like that, you know, great two drops you can play. Yeah,
0: the signets, Fellwar Stone, Mind Stone. Yeah. Um green ramp uh Green has a variety of two mana search a land and a play cards. We mm-hmm. just got three visits reprinted, which will get a land untapped even. Oh my god! So that's amazing.
1: Yeah, in other colors you have like Knight of the White Orchid and stuff, and a couple other colors you have some things to do that. Yeah,
0: but... you, even in, uh, also in green you've got Sakura Tribe Elder, which has that additional utility of being able to block. You could uh, recur it a bunch of times. Yep. I think out of the two mana ramp cards, Sakura Tribe Elder gotta might be be my one of my favorites. One of my yeah, one of the best for sure. I'll play it over a rampant growth, mm-hmm. and then you also get some just like next level mana dorks that are that provide additional mana or additional uh, utility, like Bloom Tender. Yeah, it's just an
1: insane <laughs> magic. Card. One of the most powerful uh, mana dorks in the format for sure.
0: I'm glad I haven't seen more of Bloom Tender.
1: And then, like similarly, not quite mana dorks, but you know, other cards that unturned two can get you mana. Um, in the form of reduction, like Ethereum Sculptor, or in red, I guess you can have like a Generator Servant that can get you some mana.
0: Yeah, it gets you kind of a burst of mana. It's kind of a ritual effect.
1: Yeah, obviously that those ones, or especially Generator Servant, not as good. But like we're trying to, you know, find cards in all the colors to mention if we can.
0: I used to be such a big Generator Servant fan. That was my favorite thing to use to play a Sun Titan and then give the Sun Titan haste, bring back the Generator Servant, and something else.
1: Yeah, that's awesome.
0: But then also, uh. On two mana, you've got other forms. Of, you've got card advantage that yeah. you can generate early in the
1: game, and this this fits into the theme of like setting yourself, selling yourself up for the game. Because if you if you have like a card advantage engine on turn two, you're going to be able to hit your land drops, hit your spells, do what you need to do. So we've got first of all we've got these um, creatures that generate card advantage, like uh, Dark Confidant and Mindblade Render as ways to draw a card every turn. Ghostly Pilferer is a blue card that ends up drawing. You know, probably, you know, three cards in the game at least, probably pretty quickly. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah, like Argothian Enchantress, uh, just being able to cycle through your enchantments more and not go down cards when you play spells. Mm-hmm. Um, along the lines of, like, Blue like has, like, two-mana looter creatures sometimes. I've been really hoping for a two-mana red looter for the longest time, but right now we have Magmatic Channeler, which isn't quite that... But its ability to go too deep when you discard a card can be nice sometimes.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, Stoneforge Mystic will tutor you up, oftentimes, like a Skull Clamp.
1: Yeah, and that that's like, it's mana neutral, and then it can get you... Not mana neutral, sorry, card neutral. And then it gets you uh, advantage for late game. Then you also have, like, the, the like, cantrip creatures, like Baleful Tricks, and, like, Dusk Legion Zealot, and Wall of Omens, and stuff like that, which...
0: Yeah, Wall of Omens, uh, those those creatures that just ETB... Draw you a card. Yeah,
1: they really, but they at least can get you to like your lands if you need them, and they can maybe be flickered later in the game or something. Cards like Humble Defector and Pierce Steel Paladin, Sram, stuff like that. You know, there's there's a ton of two mana creatures that generate value.
0: And I'd say perhaps the the best of all of these, in my opinion, would be Sylvan Library. Yeah, and that transition like
1: that. that's in, transition us into the non-creature like advantage where Sylvan Library is like, oh my god, it's so good. It's really expensive, though.
0: Yeah, really expensive. I mean, it got reprinted in the Commander Collection Green, but that is also really expensive and hard to come by.
1: If you play on Magic Online, that card's like cents on the dollar. So pick yeah, that play, one. Yeah, play Sylvan Library on Magic Online, and you know what? Just always pay the eight. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah, a lot
1: of times you do pay the eight. You got forty life. You can do it. Yeah, it's fine.
0: Four times. Or... <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. Um, yeah, some couple more non-creature. Uh, things that are going to be okay, that draw cards. Uh, you know, like Argyle's Bloodfast and, and the single uh um, Yeah, you, you can play
0: one-off. Not everything has to be, like, a super, like, long game value play. Like, playing a Knight's Whisper, Sign in Blood, or something like Charter Course, just spending one card to go to two cards will help dig you into your land drops or just more plays later in the game, and those never feel terrible at top deck because you can always replace them and go up a card. Yeah,
1: and usually you want to play you don't want to play your, your like card draw on turn two if you have another turn two play. Card draw spells like chart of course are playable on turn two if you have nothing else and then they, they progress your, your game plan. So that's what's nice about them. Exactly. And talking speaking of progressing your game plan, we've got um, a section on called proactive cards and this, you know, kind of means a couple different things. The first thing that I think of when I think of proactive cards is is like hate bears and stuff like that that um, kind of stop your opponent. They, they're, they're things you put on you play onto the board to stop people from doing things. Yeah, they advance your
0: board state. Yeah. And also in the case of hate bears will hamper your opponents. Yeah. So like having a uh, excuse
1: me what's
0: he called? The the two mana white Grand Abolisher. Grand
1: Abolisher. My or, guy. Yeah, your guy. Or like a dranith Magistrate or something.
0: Oh my god, yeah. dranith Magistrate? Yeah. Uh, probably one of the best hate bears. Yeah, cards you might call you
1: might call those reactive cards but but you but the the point the point of this is that you play them like on turn 2 and before your opponent does something so that's why I would call them proactive for sure.
0: Yeah, you're you're taking advantage of the the time that you have earlier in the game. Yep.
1: And then yeah. sticking on to that um kind of bear kind of theme, you've got cards like scavenging ooze which aren't really hate bears but they will, you know, be it's an early play that lets you kind of check your opponent's graveyards with its with its graveyard hate ability. And it also plays that double that double um theme of being an aggressive attacker, which is our other um proactive card section.
0: Yeah, these kind of cards will just allow you to have a trick on board that will make your opponents have to play differently, or in the case of stuff like Drannith Magistrate, not even they won't be able to play certain things. Yeah. Or like a thalia or something. Like it will affect their ability to react and they will have to um They'll have to think more, and and they'll make more mistakes based off of that. I think.
1: Yeah. So if you're like an aggro deck or something, if you have like a card like a loyal apprentice, like that's gonna get in a lot of damage early. Um, other than that, I don't know if there's too many good like two drop aggressive creatures, like aggressive like in combat. But I mean, I'm sure there's some middling ones that you can that you can look and put in your deck.
0: Yeah. Well, the, the idea with uh, hate bears too is they I always think it's yeah, it's they attack, so it's always more important to me to have a creature that has some kind of useful utility or effect on it uh than it is to just have like a big creature yeah uh but i had this uh history teacher in eighth grade that always had this saying when he was talking about like the old battles and like the (laughs) early settlement of america and stuff with like specifically like with muskets and stuff he'd say well if you shoot You'd shoot your musket and you're, you wouldn't have a bullet anyway, so you turn it around and now you got a baseball bat. So that's kind of how I look at like utility creatures and stuff. Like, say somebody plays a limb Ball on you or plays something like, a humili- like some kind of effect that stops your abilities from working on yeah. the creature or they're just not doing anything for you on that board state. Well, if your gun's out of
1: bullets, you still got a baseball bat. For sure. You can just swing in. Yeah. <laughs> nice. All right. So, our last little um, category of two drops that we think are going to be powerful is, um, it's, it's titled Synergy, but it really kind of just boils down to the rest of the good two drops. So, like, utility cards, like, Lightning Greaves, or, um, like, the Seal of Primordium, Primordial Seal, whatever those cards are called, seal like, of cleansing. Seal of Cleansing, all, of, uh, the, the Black Seal as well, all these cards are, like, things you can play proactively on the board on turn two, even if there's no target for them, and, like, fire them off later in the game like i said lightning greaves and like swiftfoot boots and stuff are good cards to get in early to progress your game plan um and then the other section was combo pieces you want to talk about some combo pieces yeah so we've got stuff like uh thopter foundry
0: which i i haven't seen a lot of this in commander but that's even just like outside of being a combo piece a, a decent value piece yeah or um walking ballista also is um Just a good creature, like, I played that in my Tajik deck without any combo pieces with it, really, because it's just, like, you mentor onto it, you put counters on it some other way, and then it's just removing other utility creatures and mana dorks and stuff.
1: And the nice thing about Thopter Foundry and Walking Ballista, um, kind of, well, at least Walking Ballista, is, like, usually um, a lot of the combos that involve it just want it to be in the graveyard and they get it back, so you can just kind of fire it off on turn two and then shoot shoot the dork or something if you need to. Um, and then, like, later in the game, it's in the graveyard, you can get it back with something. Or, you know, some decks just want it on the field, like, uh, with, um, Kiliad, you know, that one just want... It doesn't need to be, like, more than a 1-1. Yeah. Yeah, for it to go infinite. And then cards like Goblin Bombardment and stuff. Yeah, similarly, Goblin Bombardment,
0: it's mainly thought of as a combo piece, um, but, you know, Sack Outlets do have a lot of value to them, but this is one that also allows you to shoot down your opponent's creatures, so I think as when I'm thinking of sack outlets, um, I'm biased as a, a red white player primarily, but I think Goblin Bombardment is is my favorite. I think it's the best.
1: Yeah. Um. So that's about all of our uh, our two drops we were going to talk about. Like we wanted to say, I think part of making this episode was really it was really fun to kind of look at all of these cards and be like, man, I love a lot of these cards. Um. And so. I would recommend personally, um, informally recommending somewhere in the ballpark of like 15 or so or more things that you can do before turn three. Not counting cards like Counterspell or Swords of Plowshares or something like that. Um, so you can kind of like just get a start on the game early. And like you might think, wow, 15 things that are going to be bad in the late game, that's a lot. But like cards, these, these card advantage two drops and stuff like that that we've been mentioning aren't really bad in the late game. They, they they come and play later and they replace themselves other things or they they affect the board or they do something good so yeah i think you'd be a lot happier playing a lot of two in one drops in your deck yeah and i think
0: somewhat my my deck building has influenced like how i see this because i two of my most or two of my favorite decks have three mana commanders so in those decks i decided i didn't want to play a lot of 3 CMC spells because I always have that to play on turn 3 and my commanders in those decks are always good to play on turn 3. So, I I prioritize putting a lot of emphasis on the 2 mana slot because that will always give me a play within the within the first 3 turns of the games I can always have like two permanents on board.
1: Yeah. And um I ran some statistics um on if you have 15 uh 15 proactive one or two drops in your deck Um, if you, if you don't mulligan, if you just like draw the first, you know, nine cards of your, uh, of your, of your deck, meaning like, you know, the, you know, go to eight on turn one, go to nine on turn two, the odds that you have at least two lands and a thing to play, um, for one or two mana is with 15, um, things in your deck is 70%. That's, that's pretty good. I would say I'm pretty happy with that. Those odds. Yeah, I, that's one of the things
0: I like about magic is the the deck building aspect and sure it's it's random but being able to control like some aspects of the randomness through your deck building i find as a really fun challenge like i was saying about those decks i play i i play a a ton of two cmc cards in my tajik legion's edge deck so i can guarantee it have that not necessarily the same card because it's a singleton format but i have a similar play experience almost every game that i play because of that
1: yeah and not to say, like, not to say, like, the deck plays the same every time, but, like, having that, like, be able to play a 1-drop or a 2-drop really early, like, just, it's 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 really satisfying. So I would really recommend, it's a lot of fun, you know, when you can when you can just play your spells, um, <laughs> to play your spells. So, really try to get some of these in your deck, and I think you'll be happier overall. Or if you're really
0: lucky, maybe you found a 2-CMC Commander oh, that yeah. you like and you can play, and then then you really don't have to worry about that that much at all. You have a two-drop every game. Yeah. It's like, really nice to like have Like I was that. talking,
1: I had a Cheville deck, and that deck plays a lot of one-mana cross creatures and stuff, but, like, not too many two-drops. All my two-drops are removal. Yeah, you can really, like,
0: depending on the CMC of your commander, cut out that slot in your curve yeah. and just pad around it. Yep, yep. But another thing we want to talk about, um, maybe more so in, in depth in a later, like, smaller episode, but with... uh. Kaldheim coming out soon. They have the the new foretell mechanic, and we both really like it. Or at least I do. Like, like it. You I like, like it, 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 right, Spencer? Yeah, I'm pretty happy with um, it. In that, like, it allows you to earlier in the game you can foretell a card for two mana, yeah. and then play it on a later turn for a lower mana cost, typically then it's converted mana cost. Mm-hmm. So that's just another way to spend out your mana on that turn two, because like we said, if you don't spend your mana on turns one and two, you're not getting it back.
1: Yeah, so every Fortel card you put in your deck kind of gets you closer to that that 15 or more um, kind of ballpark I was recommending um, for, for you to play in your decks. And that's really nice, because skipping turn two just feels bad. Yes. And Fortel... You don't always have to, like, if you have, like, a better 2-drop to play on turn 2, you can just play that. You don't have to foretell that early, but it lets you have that extra card in your deck that lets you fill that curve.
0: Yeah, and obviously, even with this uh, look on deck building or this uh, mentality, you're still going to have hands, you're just going to have bad mulligans Mm -hmm. where you won't draw, like, a 1-drop or a 2-drop, and and that's that's always going to feel bad but at least this way you can you can reduce the amount of games where you feel like a non entity
1: yeah and the last thing i want to say about that is one benefit of playing a lot of low cost uh spells is that it makes your mulligans better because if you have to mulligan to six or five cards if you if you mulligan you don't you you get to like pitch more lands at the bottom if you can mulligan to two lands and like a dark confidant you're going to be fine like that that that's all right or like one land land tax and, like, a couple spells, like, that that's fine. So, that's why I really like playing a lot of low-cost spells. It makes your mulligans better, too.
0: Yeah, I mean, what's one big thing that magic players love to complain about? It's being mana screwed.
1: Mm-hmm. So, if you're getting mana screwed, which,
0: like, we've talked about on the last episode and a little bit on this one, play more lands first. It'll happen less. But lower your mana curve, too. And mulligan more. And, yeah, and you won't feel so bad about it. Yep.
1: So... I think I think that's about all we have to talk about for today, right?
0: yeah, uh, hopefully we covered everything, and um we will be back early next month hopefully yeah, we're um, gonna
1: we're gonna look to try to do maybe about two episodes a month once every two weeks or so,
0: yeah, we're hopefully gonna uh try and do a little take on some Kaldheim cards coming up soon, yep, um, but yeah, I've been Elijah Samuelson and I've been Spencer Cook, thank you for listening, and we will. See you next time. Yep, thanks.